Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. That Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. I moved in her like a bitch, but I couldn't get there, and she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her, she's now got the big phony person, and she's totally changed her life. We have no choice. These are people only believe in jihad. They don't want our system. They don't want our system. And have no sense of reason or respect for human life. They have no respect for human life. You call women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account only Rosie O'Donnell. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, that's it. With the gold, I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. You know, I just spoke with the co-chairman of Donald Trump's New Hampshire campaign, uh, State Representative Al Balderasso, and I asked him point blank, what is behind this? And he said, this is grassroots. Donald Trump communicated not through the mainstream media, not through mainstream news outlets, and instead took a social media approach and a grassroots approach, and that resonated. I then put the question to Sarah Huckabee, a senior advisor to the Trump campaign, and what she told me was that they won. And so there are many within 
the, they're chanting behind me, Megan, right now, call it, call it, call it. So uh, clearly they know uh, that perhaps this Pennsylvania news puts them within six electoral votes of Donald Trump becoming the president-elect of the United States. A lot of people waking up in London right now stunned at this news. Just before we start the show, I'd like to remind you, good listener, that Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network, a series of podcasts put together by independent podcasters from all around the globe. Now, this month, it's the History of Islam, which seems like a somewhat prescient podcast for me to recommend that you listen to, considering that there has been a whole swathe of anti-Islamic demonization in the American political system and throughout the Western world. If you want to learn more about how this religion exploded from the Arabian Peninsula, go over to the agorapodcastnetwork.com website or you can go to iTunes or a podcatcher of your choice. David Hazen is an Associate Professor of Education at the Hannibal LaGrange University in Missouri. David began teaching at LHGU in the fall of 2015. He was a high school teacher of social studies in Wisconsin and Wyoming and has taught online learning for the U.S. Army Intelligence Center. David grew up in Middle America. He and his family are committed Christians and he's a listener of Mid-Atlantic and 10 American Presidents. Hello, David. Hello. Right. There's one thing I've forgotten to say in this intro. You are not only a committed Republican, you voted for Trump, didn't you? I did. Right. Now, three quarters, or at least two thirds of my listeners have just fallen over in shock now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, tell me why you voted for Donald Trump. I would imagine most of it is more of a vote, like a lot of people from the Midwest, not so much for uh, Donald Trump, but kind of the voice that he is giving to a lot of people in the Midwest that I think for a long time now have felt fairly overlooking, uh, that no one has, uh, you know, a lot of the attention, a lot of the uh, suffering that's been going on since uh, the the change in the economy, change in cultural standards has uh, kind of overlooked uh, what collectively has been called a flyover country or uh, middle America, the forgotten part between the coasts. And um, for the most part, I think a lot of people in the Midwest are, uh, well, pretty well tired of uh, being ignored. A lot of uh, people have voted for Donald Trump because of that. Um, I know for me personally, as a as a Christian, there's a lot of statements that that uh, Mrs. Clinton had made that, you know, make it really difficult for me as a as a committed Christian to uh, to vote for. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a I think it's not a, a singular one thing that uh, that you can point to that says this is why I voted one way or the other. So I think it's interesting that you mention Christianity because Donald Trump barely knows the Bible, whereas Hillary Clinton goes to church every Sunday. I would agree on that one. He uh, he definitely had some uh, miscues on uh, citing the uh, some of the books of the Bible. That is, uh, 
I, I think that the majority of it has a lot to do with some of uh, Mrs. Clinton's stance, in particular her stance on uh, late-term abortion, seemed to uh, strike a note with numerous different individuals, um, so that, that even the women that I know of that were perhaps inclined to uh, vote for her turn the other direction because um, that resonance and there's a there's a shift more towards um, you know that what about the rights of the of the unborn is that something that uh, um, that we need to to reexamine um, in light of abortion and and I think uh, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of Christians just really were not inclined to vote for her. David uh, what Clinton. exactly did Hillary Clinton say about late term abortion um, when were you willing to basically have a an abortion would it be is okay to have a woman that that was one day before um, she was to give birth? Is that would an abortion be okay at that time? And um, her statements to say that yeah, that would be something that she would she would be okay to support. Um, those were things that I think that a lot of uh, gave a lot of people pause to to ask: Is that really something that I'm willing to vote for? And I think most people were not willing to go there. I think we kind of get to the root. Of the, of the issue here. I don't believe she actually said that. And one of the things which I found, and a lot of people have found most distressing about this election is the amount of miss or let's say disinformation. Yes, she's, she's pro-choice. No one, no one's arguing that. I would ask you uh, to try and find that bit of videotape or on YouTube or that article where she says the day before a term is over, I think a woman has the right to abort that child. I, I'm pro-choice, but even I would say that if a mother goes to that fuller term, it's not a fetus, it's a child, and it's a viable child. And I don't think she actually said that. So if we deal with that point specifically, is mm -hmm. that a reason or just another excuse not to vote for Hillary Clinton? Bearing in, mind, bearing in mind that Donald Trump historically has been pro-choice i i know now his position has changed but as recently as about 2008 2006 he's on videotape no one's arguing or disputing that that he was very much pro-choice i think that you kind of hit on a, a much larger point about the idea of disinformation i think that that has a large chunk of of why i think many people are maybe voicing a their support for Mr. Trump, even if they have some some fairly strong misgivings about things that he said on tape, not on tape, you know, his his brashness. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you, Royfield, that uh, um, a lot of his comments about women and uh, minorities and the list goes on definitely are things that uh, are not in keeping with most of what Midwesterners believe. But at the same token, I think there is a a fairly large um, feeling that uh, the information, um, the media, the society is largely stacked against uh, rural uh, America, and um, that we're seeing a lot of the advantages that are being, or the attention that is being pushed onto the coasts or into the large cities are just largely ignoring middle America, rural America. Um, okay, let, let's let's look at that specifically right and i don't want to throw a whole load of facts and data um at this but anecdotally um i'm going to try and pass and understand what i believe you're saying so mm -hmm. you are saying um that 
you feel that the coasts and the big cities are not part of an America that you intrinsically understand. Or that there's a large cultural divide that exists between oh. there that has largely gone unrecognized. Um, I think um, when I was uh, sitting up in rather large disbelief and shock at about two o'clock in the morning central time, mm -hmm. um, watching the returns come in, um, uh, I was listening to uh, NBC News and uh, there was a uh, commentator, I can't remember exactly who it was, that I think put it as succinctly as I can uh, uh, articulate that uh, she said, I think that middle America just uh, gave a large middle finger to the rest of the country. And I'm not so certain that they, she was 100% off, basically saying that you've ignored us for so long that we need you to listen to us. And um, um, what that exact voice is, is, is a little bit like uh, Mr. Trump, that I don't think we really have a, a clear, gelled, singular voice, except for a voice of frustration. And, okay, uh, well, let, let you speak to me about your frustrations, and, and you go through point by point, and if I can, uh, I'll, I'll try and counter it with, with what I see. So, sure. Go. Okay, um, I think that in uh, middle America, we end up seeing a lot of jobs that uh, the blue collar jobs that, uh, you know, that a lot of the people that, you know, clearly not that I don't have, but a lot of the people that my, my children play with and we go to school with, um, those particular jobs are, are, are leaving these communities. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of attempts to retrain people, but retrain them for for jobs that don't really exist in, in middle America um, that would require them to uproot from their communities and move to, to other areas, areas that they, they would have really no desire to go to. So there are a lot of those blue collar jobs that, uh, that had been the backbone of uh, middle America aren't there anymore. Um, there's a well, large, okay. okay we, have, we, we have to be careful here because you're, because we, we, we switch from small town America to middle America. Okay, and okay. you're you're the American, all right. But just so we're sure. clear, what what we're talking about, because um, I think you everybody would call Detroit part of the Midwest. Okay, yeah. So technically, it's Middle America, but that's not what you're talking about, is it? Um, you're, you're not rural. talking. You're not okay. But just 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 so we're clear, because sure. what whatever economic blight has hit small town America. It's hit somewhere like Detroit a whole lot worse. Few cities have provided more to more Americans than Detroit. When it filed for bankruptcy in July, it became the largest American city to do that and admit defeat. It wasn't a sudden blow, a hurricane or a tornado. Detroit's decline was more than 50 years in the making. What happened? People will tell you any number of things. They're all true and they're all linked. The decline of the auto industry, race riots, a mass exodus, corruption, bad management, and bad luck. The end result, $18.5 billion of debt that Detroit can't pay. The bankruptcy filing just confirms what residents had known for years. The city that was once an industrial capital of America had hit rock bottom. But there are those who believe that you've got to get there before you can rise again, before you can reinvent yourself. But we begin with what an American city looks like when it's gone bankrupt. Well, yes, and but I would say that like in Detroit, 
um, in a smaller town, you may only have a single factory that is there. And that's the, the entire backbone of the entire economy is based on one, maybe two industrial jobs. And when those take a 10 to 15% reduction in their workforce, um, there isn't a place where they could say, well, I'll just go work at this particular other factory or I'll get another, I'll get training to go uh, work at a call center or any number of other things. There just aren't jobs there to be had. Once that job is what, gone, there's what, nothing to really... So, so you believe that um, globalization, the effects of globalization and the fact that blue collar jobs have disappeared from, I would say, the Western world. Okay, but mm -hmm. so let's say specifically the United States that has impacted economically much harder and small town America than the larger cities. Well, and again, I wouldn't want to speak for the how hard it is for any individual in a larger city to lose their job. But I'd say as a as a group um, in a, a city that say under the population of 30,000 people, when you lose a factory closes down in a town of 30,000 people, it's pretty quick that that town just starts to evaporate because there's just nothing there for them uh, to hold uh, or the working class bracket there anymore. There's just okay. not... So, so let's just ho hold on this point because you are um, a Republican. Let's take Donald Trump out of this. The, mm -hmm. uh, the Republicans uh, and the Democrats... But let's say um, instinctively Republicans are about business and commerce. And since uh, since before NAFTA, there's been a move between uh, liberal and I say liberal economists, which doesn't mean liberal in the political sense that uh, you take down trade barriers and that means economic growth and prosperity that is fundamentally the, being the fundamental Republican agenda up until Donald Trump has talked about tearing up NAFTA. So mm -hmm. why is this now a, a concern, a reason for you to be pro-Trump when it wasn't a reason for you to be pro-Democrat before this election? I would say that I tend to have been mostly pro-Republican, uh, more for... Um, Social so reasons. Than, than I have been for economic reasons. Clearly, as a, uh, I'm, I would say that the Democrats are right a lot of times on things like education. And um, for my family, personally, we're very much, uh, we would be leaning towards uh, the Democrats in, in, lane, uh, in terms of environmentalism. However, um, I think that uh, to make the jump to say that uh, the Democrats are, have been representing small town America and uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I would, David I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that I, and yeah. I think I've said on on my shows before that I do believe that a certain constituency whether it's in the UK or in the US has actually been ignored by by politicians and I've always been struck listening to US politicians talk that they always talk about um, lessening the burden for the middle class mm. for the last 20 or 30 years politicians have left and right have ignored the working class absolutely mm -hmm. have and and I would say that um, what the Democrats have done is to talk about minorities 
who suffer economically as opposed to also talking about uh, the white working class that suffer economically. I wouldn't massively kind of disagree with, with, with you there, but yeah, I want to, I want to, we would agree on that one. I think that that right there is, is probably if I were to uh, advocate for why maybe she lost and perhaps the, the Democrats in particular have been having a, uh, a hard time of it in both the House and the Senate and governor races throughout the country is that I think both sides have largely ignored. No, um, absolutely. Absolutely. They they have. And this is, and Trump's victory has come as a shock to the Republican establishment as much as it has come to rank and file Democrats, because his message is a hodgepodge message into, if you strictly view it in terms of left and right, because he's talking oh, about yeah yeah so all right I'm, i will be the first one to admit that uh i voted but i had zero confidence that uh when i went to go home um that i was going to see anything other than a uh a complete uh, a landslide on um mrs clinton's part i mean um you know the, the way that you heard things from the media that uh geez you know it's just, uh it's going to be landslide electoral college uh, victory and but, but they got a chance Retaking the Senate, and you know, let's, I just, I just... let's uh, David, let let's deal with that. How comfortable are you that Hillary Clinton is going to end up with maybe as much as a million votes more than Donald Trump? M- mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe not quite a million, but you know, um, a a small but significant margin of more votes than Donald Trump, but mm-hmm. has lost this election by a significant margin. How comfortable mm-hmm. are you with that in terms of your understanding that middle America is being ignored uh, when actually, let's say, is the coastal elites of people in big cities? There's still more of them that actually disagree with you. Yeah. And I will say that, like, I, um, I'm a huge fan of the Electoral College or the fact that it forces um, politicians to be more of a consensus building. Hillary Clinton appeared poised to win the popular vote while having lost the Electoral College vote to Donald Trump. Clinton had received 59.79 million votes, compared to Trump's 59.5 million, according to the Associated Press. I know how disappointed you feel because I feel it too. And so do tens of millions of Americans who invested their hopes and dreams in this effort. This is the second time in 16 years that a Democratic candidate has lost the presidency while winning the popular vote. Al Gore was victimized by the system in 2000. Those of you who are younger than 25, you might not remember the election of 2000 and what happened here in Florida and across the country. The Electoral College was conceived by the Founding Fathers as a way of ensuring one region of the country couldn't overwhelm the vote. It was also designed to block the public from electing an unqualified candidate. Jack Rakove, a political science professor at Stanford University, said the system is antiquated and should be junked. I don't think it has any advantages whatsoever. President-elect Donald Trump was not always a fan of the system. In 2012, he tweeted, The Electoral College is a disaster for a democracy. I think a lot of people have been running to battleground state after battleground state and not really thinking about, I need to be listening to the voice of of all Americans instead of, you know, my constituency that I know that I already speak to. I think uh, the one thing that uh, this election has really kind of 
maybe force both sides to think about that uh, we can't really look at politics and politicking as usual as a a historian, I just I just love the fact that uh, these are those uh, watershed moments in, in American history where you kind of look at that and go, wow, what the heck just happened? And I don't think even, I don't think we really have a good grasp of what the heck just happened, um, because he basically violated every single rule in politicking and yet won. So why is that? Well, he, he didn't violate one rule, which is have name recognition when you start. Good story. True. So if he had had the same populist message and no one had ever heard of Donald Trump, he wouldn't be president right now. So no. name recognition and... I think that, that you have to kind of look at something like um, not at the, the election of Donald Trump. There's a uh, another one that uh, I was part of back when I was much younger. There was a, a governor race in Minnesota, uh, Jesse Ventura, who was a former yeah. professional wrestler. Wrestler, yeah. Um, ran against um, a Republican who used to be a Democrat, and then against a Democrat, and he was the outsider. He was the guy that run around with neon green signs and talking to people, driving around his uh, Winnebago and going to every little small town and talking to them about, you know, their particular issues. But yes, he definitely had name recognition that people knew who Jesse the Body Ventura was. But what he also did... did something that was above and beyond, which he he went out and pressed the flesh with the. Uh, with people who normally wouldn't have actually voted. And I, I think you see that in this particular election, that there's a large Remind number Remind me how his uh, governorship of Minnesota ended up. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not good. Okay. Yeah, let's go, David, right. let's go back to the Electoral College. You said you're a great yeah. fan of it. I am. You said you're a great fan of it because it forces politicians to do what exactly? Just remind me what you said. It forces them to go out and build more of a consensus. I think that you, you know, but it um, doesn't though, does it? Go, it absolutely well, doesn't because but then does, does popular because does popular of, because uh, let's just put the popular vote just to one side. In <laughs> and, and and I I think that I think that it's important, but I don't get too het up about it. I think it's important in terms of cultural conservatives saying that the country has voted with us. The country has not. The Electoral College and the rules are that you need to get 270 Electoral College votes. So by the Mm -hmm. rules of the election, no one's arguing that you haven't won, that they haven't won. But actually to say that middle America has, has roared and the coastal elites in the big cities need to listen and we are actually the silent majority, which is kind of underlying what you're saying, is actually in terms of the raw votes, not true. America is a 50-50 country and actually is maybe 51%, 49%. But, you know, but however, the rules of the election were what they were and you won. But with the Electoral College, it doesn't force consensus building. What it forces politicians to do is to go to the states, which are the swing states. So it forces them to go to um, uh, North Carolina, Ohio, uh, you know, Wisconsin, uh, etc. It doesn't force them to go to. You didn't. You didn't see any politicians in Missouri. You didn't. No. You didn't see no. any in in Nebraska. Surely didn't see any in Wyoming. That's for, for there. As well. There you go. So the However, electoral, the electoral college. Go on. This is how I would agree with that. Is that 
each year those particular states fluctuate. You know, that's um, say, for instance, Wisconsin was uh, for a few years ago was a deeply purple state. This particular election, it started off as a fairly solid blue state. And yet there was enough of an undercurrent there that was going on that uh, some time. David, some the last time I looked at a map of the United States, there were 50 states there. Donald That's Trump, correct. Hillary Clinton uh, maybe visited, I don't know, 15 they, they weren't they, going to Washington, Washington State. They weren't going to Louisiana. They weren't going to, um, I don't know, Maine. They weren't going to these places. They were going to specifically 15 places. So I would say to you uh, that the Electoral College in Britain, we would say is not fit for purpose. And I would disagree with this one, which is exactly, I think, what um, rural America would probably say is the problem is running to every one of the large cities within inside of uh, the United States isn't uh, isn't fit for purpose as well. That ignoring the large another fifty percent of the population that would be completely unrepresented because of the fact that they're they're rural. So it's it's uh, I would one hundred percent agree with you that we are. So so you're happy and comfortable with the fact that. Hillary Clinton has maybe got up to a million votes more than Donald Trump, but there is gerrymandering with the allocation of electoral college votes, which sway things for rural America. You're quite happy with that. Quite so, happy with so, that. So your so your vote yeah. is actually weighted more than the vote of somebody who just happens to live in Portland, Oregon. And I guess I would probably be say, yes, I am because we won. <laughs> and, and it would probably be the other direction that I would be completely upset about it if it was gerrymandered. OK, the other so so, so. we're going to we're going to deal with the we're going to deal with the with the with the politics. I think the gerrymandering yeah. thing is a really serious issue is. in American politics it is. because it is. the Democrats for the last, let's say, 20 years in all presidential elections, bar one, have received more votes than Republicans, the one being 2004. Mm -hmm. And in terms of congressional votes, Democrats receive more than Republicans. But because of gerrymandering from a, on a state level, uh, they, still, they still happen to lose out. Mm -hmm. And you're happy not, with that? Not, no. <laughs> This is this is why we have a 50-50 split, because in some respects, that's completely unfair. And on the other respects, when your side wins, then you completely think that it's 100% okay. So, um, no, no, no. I think, it, it, you know, I, I, I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. And this is purely from a British perspective. And I know mm -hmm. that um, Americans because of American exceptionalism and the size of your country and its economic weight and success, Americans instinctively do not look outside the borders of America to see how other countries do things. They kind of think, well, you know, we invented democracy and uh, we're just, this is just the way that th things get done. But over here we have the Electoral uh, Boundary Commission, completely not mm -hmm. independent, and it has a formula of how it works out constituencies. I'm not going to say that it's totally without um, rancor and dispute, but it's pretty much people see it as being very fair. So mm -hmm. what you don't have is salamander-like districts 
whereby a partisan body in a state can say, right, we need to divide up Texas or Oklahoma X amount of ways. And we are going to, okay, here's a, a, a city or a town over a population of 50,000. That's probably going to lean Democrat. We're going to divide that in, into two or three rurally uh, based uh, districts so that mm-hmm. those rural votes outweigh the city. And I don't see how that is fair. I don't see how that is democratic. And it's not a case of, well, my side lost, so I- I'm griping. Because it goes, it goes to the heart of... Anyway. I would agree with you. Gerrymandering is... is um, I don't believe anything that uh, the original framers uh, wanted to be that way. And um, I don't think that... Uh, most Americans would think that that's a, it's the way that we want to work on it and we don't like it. Um, and if there was a better way, uh, I think that most people would be all for it. I just don't know that anybody's ever floated that particular idea out as a better way to do it. And if it's well, not well, really no, necessary... I, I know in California they have a non-partisan way of dividing up um, congressional districts. They, they do. So it's not completely out there against the wit of politicians to be kind of bipartisan and funnily enough it was actually because the democrats were were getting trounced in in california that they actually uh sorry is the republicans getting trounced in um in California, which then led um, a Republican gov- governor actually then t- to, br- to bring to bring this law in, and I believe, and I could be wrong, that kind of Oregon, Oregon or Washington State, one one or the other, has a similar kind of non-partisan kind of way of drawing up con- congressional boundaries. But anyway, I don't get too too hung up on that because we, we go go mm-hmm. down a, a slight rabbit hole. Um, sure. I want to I want to <laughs> come come back onto kind of cultural issues okay. because. Mm-hmm. And I think this really goes to the heart of things, okay? And you can tell me that I'm wrong. As a Brit and as a black British person, what I take from what you're saying about the culture of America is that there is an inherent belief that Americans are are white and are Christian. And so... There is, and, and with the rising demographic tide of there being more brown um, Americans, that some of those rural white Christians feel a level of social anxiety because mm. the economic argument is the same for everybody. Job insecurity is no greater for, an, well, it is greater if you are urban and black and poor and always has been if you are urban black and brown your job and economic insecurity is higher than it is if you are white and urban and poor and indefinitely is higher if you are white and rural and middle class Yes, we can talk about Western Virginia and some places in, in, in Kentucky and, and whatever. So I'm not saying that across, across the board, if you happen to be uh, from small town America and, and working class and white and poor, that, you, uh, that your economic prospects are 
are worse than worse or better than your black counterpart in, in, in a city. But it seems to me that this argument is is part culture. And I don't mean when I say this argument coming from you, I mean the argument sure. of, of people that have voted for Trump. Is right. it's part economic, but in large part it's cultural. And it's people seen an an America which they don't believe is American, shall we say. Hey everybody, Dixon back here just thinking about Donald Trump, unfortunately. <sighs> and thinking about why he's been resonating with so many white folks all over America and why there's millions and millions of Trump signs in white folks' yards all over America. And the obvious reason is Donald Trump gives the shy racist a voice. He says, you don't have to speak in code anymore. You can just say you don't like Mexicans and Muslims, and that's okay. You can assault black women in the rallies, and that's okay. He encourages violence toward people of color. Openly, not covertly. And white people love it, because we've had a black president, and white people just freak the fuck out. And no, I'm not saying all white people, obviously. For all the fragile white apologists that are so concerned about white stereotypes, but don't give a fuck about black or brown stereotypes or racial injustice. But oh my God, they're so concerned about white stereotypes. Hypocrites. He's their leader for the shy racist. He, it's what he does and he's doing it well. What I get from that is that uh, I'm not 100% sure that, that in a large swath of middle America or rural America, there is almost a... Uh, kind of a, I would almost say a visceral reaction to that kind of lumping in of uh, how the cultural divide is. I think a lot of uh, people in rural America don't really see things in terms of black and white. Um, and perhaps that kind of goes to the, you know, part of the issue is trying to say, you know, that this is a black and white issue. Um, I think most rural Americans don't see things in terms of black, white, or brown. They see things in in uh, in fairly neutral shades. And uh, I know that that kind of is a bit of a shock for most people. But um, you know, you have to kind of understand that uh, most people that I would run into wouldn't consider themselves. Uh, racially motivated in any way shape or form primarily because they just don't really see too many people other than individuals that look very similar to themselves and so david, when they david let, let mm -hmm. me just quickly jump in i couldn't agree with you more okay um your ancestors are from northumberland in the united kingdom in england yeah mm -hmm. that is correct yeah i wouldn't expect that the average person in Northumberland um, thinks about a inner city life or the stresses and the strains that somebody who is Sikh who lives in Leicester might go through because why would they? They don't see mm -hmm. Sikhs from one day to the other. They, they don't, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not inherently racist but you know so and, and trust me i'm not saying i would never say that all trump supporters or all republicans are racist that would be a gross a very stupid thing to say but i think it's fair to say though that when people do not rub up with others 
cheek by jowl that mm-hmm. they can have sometimes an understandable misapprehension about other people. So um, I see that. I think that, um, you know, and again, um, Missouri is a kind of a unique Midwestern um, state in the fact that uh, blacks and whites uh, do in even small rural America, uh, rural towns intermixed quite a bit. And so for that, I think that we divide David, most what, ha- what happened at Ferguson? Well, that's a good, I mean, that's, that's an urban kind of difference there. I think that's not necessarily, I mean, that's, uh, that's a suburb or a part of St. Louis. And I think most, uh, you know, where we were at when that was happening in, in Ferguson, um, we didn't see the racial tension uh, bubble up in, you know, a town the size of, of, of Hannibal that, uh, you know, it just mm. didn't, it didn't, it didn't kind of echo over into the smaller towns. We didn't, we didn't have that. Okay. Well, now there's a divide between blacks and whites. It, it just didn't, it didn't kind of play out that way in. Trust smaller... me. I, I don't want to make this to be, um, I don't want to overlabor this point about race because I think it's more about difference. And yes. and it's trying to understand when you talk about cultural issues. I understand you are um, you're a Christian, and you have a certain set of fundamentally Protestant conservative beliefs, which you ethically believe aren't just something which should be parroted to you on a Sunday by uh, by your pastor, but actually you should live your life that way ethically and then it colors your politics and and i completely and utterly respect that absolutely Mm do um what i'm trying to i'm guessing that your church is majority white Uh, it's about 50 50 actually well you know what amen to that brother right (laughs) as somebody who is who is not a christian um i've never been able to understand um, how you could have segregated churches? I, I don't get me wrong. Historically, I, 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 I understand I why 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 they why they have happened, but you know it. Yeah. Okay. All right. White, brown, or whatever the color. Yeah. We're all it, we're, you're all supposed to be worshiping the same God. You know. Yes, so, we are. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm sorry for my uh, misapprehension there. That I just <laughs> assumed that you you uh, were in this church was going to be all white. Okay. That's right. Um, but I still want to understand um, this point of feeling that uh, Middle America um, is being ignored. As somebody who was British, who spent time mm-hmm. in America and has studied America, and even before I studied American politics and culture and society, etc., I'm telling you there are fundamentally two views of America which are sold to the world. New York, okay. New York forward slash big city, okay, mm-hmm. which and New York really means Manhattan. You know, your average Brit yes. has no understanding of the Bronx and of Brooklyn and Queens. So, yes. no, nope. the five boroughs. Yes. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, let alone Staten Island. Forget about that. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other image is small town America where everybody's howdy doody, incredibly pleasant to each other, goes to church every Sunday, you know your mailman, etc. The cultural imprint that America has left around the world, trust me, um, 
is that small town America is America. New York is kind of something else. And the way that, you know, you've said to me very clearly that the um, electoral college favours rural America. You understand that gerrymandering favours rural America. So politically, rural America is actually in the in the ascendancy, even though more people from the cities and the coast vote another way. So the system is tilted in your favour. You've admitted that. We've, we've talked about that and you understand, you understand that. So if we put that to one side, we are really talking about a feeling culturally that America is going away from the flyover states. And it's hard not to understand that through the prism of, uh, and you, and this is your time to shine now, through the prism <laughs> of shifting demographics. Was it just coincidence that the first African-American president that many people believe that, number one, he was a Muslim, number two, that he wasn't even born in the United States. Even though Donald Trump has now finally said, okay, yeah, 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 he was kind of born in the United States, there is still a significant proportion of people who would have voted Republican that do not believe that. Is that just a coincidence or is it because for the first time here is somebody representing all of the United States who was not white? Let's just put a couple things out there. Number one, I think that the most people who were the the idea that uh, people thought that the, uh, President Obama is uh, Muslim or wasn't born in the United States, I've never really kind of latched onto that as being a large portion or even a significant portion. I, I think that that's a, it's a fairly minor group of people that actually would have thought either one of those particular things. Well, we, um, we, we can, we can argue about what minor constitutes in terms of a, a percentage. <sighs> I quite like John McCain. So again, mm-hmm. I am not Indeed, right. a, a, mm-hmm. a, re, a reflexive uh, Democrat when it comes to American politics. And, mm-hmm. I never forget in that 2008 election where he took when this woman said she didn't like Barack Obama, he's a Muslim. I don't think she said he wasn't born in America, but he said he's a Muslim. And he took the mic and says, ma'am, he's not. He's a good family guy, etc., etc." Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I believe that 50 percent of Republican voters believe that. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying to you is, is there latent within the body politic that Barack Obama is other? Well, I think that for at least for I know that the people who have uh, been, let's just say, not fully supporting President Obama, most of it comes down to issues other than his ethnic makeup. A lot of it has to do with, I think kind of echoing a little bit of the the elitist kind of talking down to rural America. Um, I think a lot of people forget that uh, during uh, his first campaign for president, he said, you know, there's a lot of uh, rural Americans cling to their guns and their Bible. And I think that that kind of set a negative tone towards uh, a lot of people living in rural America that um, this guy's not for us. He doesn't hear us. He doesn't listen to us. And you know, that there is a large chunk of the media and 
such that has kind of continued to echo those particular sentiments, not probably by intentionality, um, you know, things about saying, you know, fly over country or uneducated white Americans, you know, that comes across as uh, unimportant and dumb. And, um, you know, I think uh, Midwesterners tend to be a very respectful, very prideful, determined group of people. And uh, so they would overlook um, the disrespect, the I would say um, 12 year old speech patterns of somebody who was born into wealth over somebody who has a committed life of public service. In, and then I'm going to speak a lot for coming from a very, very small town. I, I grew up in a town of 163 people okay. that if I said where it was from, you would have never heard of it. And it's one of those towns that even people in the state of Wisconsin would never have heard of. <laughs> I think a lot of people judge um, individuals by their actions, not necessarily by their words. And I think that, um, you know, some of the actions rightfully or wrongfully foisted upon Mrs. Clinton and President Obama, those actions and actions of uh, like-minded individuals have just not really set well with uh, with uh, small-town America. And I don't know as if they necessarily like the, as you said, and I think, uh, I think most uh, rural Americans would say the 12-year-old uh, locker room, schoolyard, just deplorable speech that has come out of both sides is something that we were going to the polls holding our nose and checking a box, not really liking either choice and wishing and praying that we would have had anybody, somebody, anybody else to vote for. But there is a, a large undercurrent of uh, what I said earlier, that there's just a you're not, you're not hearing us and you're not listening to us and you don't uh, respect us. And um, race, economics aside, there's, uh, you know, um, we feel a little bit disenfranchised. And um, this is a way of, you know, I think I heard somebody on uh, one of the Sunday morning talk shows saying, that, you know, this is just throwing a, a grenade into the into the middle of the political process to shake things up, to, to maybe get somebody, anybody to, to listen to what's going on in middle America. You know, our schools are in just I as bad. I think you've got it. Uh, I mean, uh, our uh, schools are in just as bad a shape as inner city schools. Our roads are in just as bad a shape as inner city schools. And yet a lot of the attention is being paid to places or at least being spoken, of course, towards uh, every place other than here didn't like being ignored. But I, I, I think you've actually done it. And, and, and you've said there that it's, it's a political grenade. You have no real love of Donald Trump and Donald Trump doesn't signify or exemplify the values of small town America. He was born in a big city. He was born into money. He didn't have to work hard and struggle. He's not thrifty. He has serially um, screwed over um, the small man in terms of contractors that have worked for him. He's a draft dodger. He's ultimately, people can say he's the American dream because he's an, he's an incredibly rich guy. But in terms yeah. of small town America, he doesn't represent you at all. No, but I would say there's that. a very strong argument that says that Hillary Clinton 
who was from a medium-sized town and grew and and had thrifty uh, Christian parents, more symbolizes Middle America. And, I, and really, that's probably why they, the Clintons rose to power in um, Arkansas. Arkansas, that, yeah. You know, from there, in 1980, when they ran, they were running as average Americans at that point, you know, rural Americans. And But after now almost 30, almost 40 years in uh, politics, that they have kind of lost touch with that particular constituency. And they no longer represent that particular group because they're more New York and more Part of Washington the elite. are yeah. Arkansas. I, you know, I, I think that'd be, that'd be fair. But I think that, you know, just to get back and just to start to wrap, wrap things up, that you yourself have said that this is a political grenade. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is that, yes, there is going to be a certain percentage, and you can only guess at what that is. And let's say it's, it's let's say it's 20% of Republican voters who are actually fervent Trump. And I'm just guessing at what that figure is. Mm-hmm. And they're excited by by him then there's going to be a a crossover if you're doing a venn diagram of people who are just i'm just fed up of the you know of of the system whether it's true or not they believe that the system is weighted against them it doesn't matter if you want to show them data that will say that african-americans still have worse outcomes or Mm latino-americans still have worse outcomes there is an there is an inbuilt sense of entitlement and i say that word carefully and this entitlement built on cultural heritage i.e people of my skin color founded this country this is our country first and to be fair to people that also have that view thomas jefferson believed in small town america it's not small town america believed in rural america and at the heart Mm -hmm. of the founding of your republic is this conflict between um city elites whether it's philadelphia back then and actually um citizen farmers which is kind of really what you're talking about and built into the cake of the american constitution and political discourse is actually to weight things in the direction of uh rural small town america and thomas jefferson uh, wrote pamphlets and papers about the citizen farmer and to be wary of the cities okay so yeah i would agree that there's a mm -hmm. uh, i mean i think that the i think that one of the parts though that i would perhaps disagree with you on is that you know we've constantly had this uh, that it's somehow that the, the, the rural americans feel like this is our country first i think they are more inclined to ask for at least what they see as an equal say. Um, so I think that if it's... But, but maybe don't you think, though, it is, but Go ahead. We, we can slightly go round and round in circles here, right? Sure. But by any objective measure, African Americans, Native Americans, for heaven's sake, right, have less say. And it isn't just that... Um, democracy is unfair because if you're only 13% of the population as African-Americans are, you, 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 can, you can never win the political argument. It, it's not mm-hmm. quite as kind of stark as that. But if you are black and you go up against a judge and you've committed the same crime as a white American, 
the chances are, and it's statistically proven, there's no arguing this, right? You will get a longer or a worse sentence. You'll get a worse sentence. That's statistically proven that sentencing disproportionately comes down on on African-Americans, on brown Americans. And then at, at the very tip of that, just as one indices of how what you are saying to me feels wrong is that you can have somebody who is young, rich and white who can rape somebody and basically just get a non-custodial sentence, as we're saying, in the, mm. in, in, in the, in the UK. Okay. Whereas nobody bar nobody would dream. That's just, you know, just a shocking outcome full stop. But that could only happen if you were, if you were white and rich. That could not happen if you were, if you were black and poor. You'd have just gone down. If you were white and poor, he would have gone down as well. So I use that as one tiny example to illustrate a wider truth that in terms of justice, people who are non-white have worse outcomes in the United States. And this is statistical fact. There's no arguing with it. Yeah, I don't think... I wouldn't argue that either. Statistical fact, and you talked about Ferguson earlier, which I think was um, interesting, is that if you are black or brown, you are more likely to be stopped by the police if you are driving a car. You're more likely to be stopped by the police if you're walking down the road. If you are black or brown, you are more likely to have worse health outcomes, job outcomes. It goes on and on and on. So again, I would say to you Mm -hmm. that what middle America feels is not actually the truth. I don't doubt that it doesn't feel that. I'm not yeah, doubting the raw emotion, but it's understanding objectively where that actually comes from. And mm-hmm. the only way as a student of history you can understand it is by a group of people looking at the demographic trends, as I've said before, and saying the founding fathers all looked like us. All of the presidents beforehand have, have looked like us. Our country is changing. We don't like the way that it's changing. But I see that I would say this, Royfield, that most most would say that what you're you're referencing as far as sentencing and the treatment of uh, of minorities is fundamentally wrong. We don't like it. We don't like the fact that it's happening, and we want we want that to change. And we don't uh, we don't agree with it. And we're um, as equally appalled as anybody about the but, way that it happened. However, I think the mm-hmm. thing that um, I think the the problem we end up having is this pitting of one group against another group, um, one race against another group, uh, another race, is uh, is at the heart of where the issues at. And I think that um, you know the discourse that um, most average Americans and mo- uh, that are from rural America and urban America, I think you'd find that on a lot of major issues um, they come to a lot of agreement on. The only thing is, is that I think that in this particular election cycle, and perhaps for a while now, um, there has just not been a sense that we're we're being heard and that we're almost being labeled as the enemy. And that particular labeling of, you know, that we're we're what's wrong with America and that we're backward, 
um, that we're the we're the we're not part of the solution. We're part of the problem. Um, that that really has resonated with a a large group, um, you know, of um, rural Americans who don't don't see themselves as part of a problem, um, and they don't see themselves as being bad people or evil people or obstructionists. They they see themselves as working every day, trying to do what's best for their family and trying to to try to improve things uh, for the entire country. And, you know, the idea that they're being labeled as something that's that's backwards or wrong has uh, has really caused a, a, a deep wound. And I'm um, with inside of rural America. And I don't know as if, uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, Donald Trump uh, represents some sort of salve that cures the particular wound that we have as far as America. I don't think most Americans would see them as uh, being uh, the cure for anything. In fact, in a lot of respects, he may be exactly the same as um, as Hillary Clinton in some respects when it comes to, you know, viewing um, rural America in certain terms. Um, but I do think that... Uh, you know the the discourse that's been going on that uh, somehow rural America is uh, is what's wrong with America is uh, you know he he touched on that particular nerve to say no you're not what's wrong with America um, you know you're part of the process and I don't know as if uh, um, you know that uh, Mrs. Clinton did did the same I think she kind of played into the same narrative that's been going on that uh, you know those people that are out in those rural areas they're just uh, they just need to be told the way to kind of go and and the way to think and and we just need to kind of lecture them into the right way of thinking um and all, all will be well and you know that just didn't didn't play as well um being told what to do and that we're you know somehow bad people for for being the way that uh that we are um are those things all good? No. Um, are they all bad, though? I don't think they are either. So it's it's a it's a um, it's not a simple solution, and I think that the listening is the is the the problem that that we're running into is that uh, you know when we don't listen, when we don't communicate, we end up having an election cycle like we did, where I don't think that uh, no matter how it turned out, that either side would have been really happy with the. Uh, with how it ended. I don't think anybody really kind of makes the narrative that we had the best of and brightest of every single person that we could have kind of found from from the wide spans of the United States that these were the two most representative best leaders that we could have came up with. They are what we had. You know, I just pray that we uh we don't fall into the narrative that a lot of people are trying to to say that he is. I hope that governance wisens him up a little bit. You know what, but I think that's an interesting note to end on. Uh, that after saying everything that that you've said about um, what you fervently believe in, um, which are ideals, which are laudable ideals of, in effect, this is what I hear: community um, is kind of writ large and respect. You said respect before civility. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have voted in somebody who doesn't represent any of those things and you hope that you just hope for the future 
I hope you found this Mid-Atlantic special enjoyable. Obviously, the election of Donald Trump is somewhat unprecedented in American history and has great ramifications for just about everybody else on planet Earth. So to commemorate that, if that's the right adjective to use, um, there will be another Mid-Atlantic special this week. Um, It won't feature Rob and John but it will feature a collection of voices, people who have an interest and a stake in the outcome of the American election as um, observers, as experts of whether it's the media or of politics, who I've spoken to in the last week. So that will be with you in a couple of days. I don't normally say this, but please, I need you to go onto iTunes and please write us that iTunes review. It's incredibly important for me to get the message of Mid-Atlantic out there. Also, if you would like to uh, comment or to contribute to the show, you can send me an email at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can find us where we are, at mid Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Antic show. And of course, the website is mid. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. AtlanticShow.com